Well, good morning. Good to see you guys. Happy New Year to you. So glad to be with you guys today. Good morning to everyone online. My name is Terrence Gray. I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors here at Ward Church. And today we are kicking off a new series called Surprise the World. It's all about how are we going to surprise the world with the hope of Jesus. And I look forward to talking about that more today. But before we go any further, let's go before our Lord and pray. Dear Father, we come to you in your mighty son's Jesus' name. God, thanking you for a new year, thanking you for your love and your grace that you've bestowed upon your church, for the favor that you've bestowed upon Ward Church. God, I pray that your word would minister to our hearts this morning. God, some of us are grieving, some of us are anticipating a new year. God, meet us where we are. I pray that I would decrease and that you would increase and be made much of in the lives of your people. It's in your son Jesus' name that we pray together. Amen. It was February 14th, 2004, my sophomore year of high school. And there was a young lady that I liked at the time, and it was Valentine's Day, a young lady that no way, form, or fashion compares to my amazing, irreplaceable, <laughs> beautiful wife, Ashley. But nonetheless, it was a young lady that I wanted to buy a gift for for Valentine's Day. And we went to different schools, and so I actually had another friend deliver the gift to her. And then, just like Amazon, I received the notification saying that, yes, she has received the gift. And so I know that she had received it. And after school, I was excited. So I talked to the friend after school. I, was, I said, did she like it? Did she get the gift? Was she excited? Was she, was she all lit up when she saw it? And the friend said, oh, no. Uh, as a matter of fact, when I gave her your gift, she took the gift. But later on that day, in the cafeteria, in the lunchroom, another guy showed up and gave her a gift. And she actually took his gift and placed it on top of the table. And your gift, she put it under the lunch table in the cafeteria. True story. And, and that's it. I don't know, that's it. <laughs> that's it. So, so what is my... What does my sad, sad high school story have to do with anything? God has graciously given the church gifts, all kinds of gifts, gifts to serve, gifts to teach, gifts of mercy, gifts, all, all kinds of gifts. And in the early church, particularly in Corinth, in the early church, there was a temptation to place some of those gifts on the table and other gifts were placed under, table, under the table, particularly in Corinth, the gift of speaking in tongues. That was the gift that everybody was excited about. And Paul had to write a letter to them because they, they placed that gift on the table, but the other gifts were minimized and placed under the table. And that was the early church, and even sometimes in the modern church, there can be a temptation to take some gifts and place them on the table. And other t gifts are not as acknowledged or recognized or, or seen as much. Here's the reality. If we're going to be a mature church, a strong church, an effective church, we have to activate and use all of the gifts. 
God wants to use all of us in our, our various gifts, our various talents, our various callings, and he wants to use all of those gifts. And they truly are gifts. God has given us those. He tells us in Ephesians 4. Here's the Apostle Paul writing to the church. He says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. God generously gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Some, some theologians call this the five-fold ministry. The apostles, the, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers. God generously gave those to the church. Now, God is the ultimate apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, but he has distributed by his Holy Spirit that gifting to various people in his church. So let's look at those again. Apostles, what, what, is, what, what do these words even mean? The apostles among us are the people who start new works. You know when you're around an apostle, they're ready to do something new, start something new. Apostles, people with this gifting, shake us out of our routines. And this is amazing for the body of Christ. But we also need one another, left to themselves. Apostles will start a bunch of new things and won't finish any of them, all right? Those are the apostles. We love the apostles, but we need each other. The prophets. The prophets are the people who point out the inconsistencies between who we are and who we're called to be. In the Old Testament, the prophets would point, to the, would point to the covenant that God had made with his people and say, this is who we're supposed to be in accordance with the covenant, but this is who we are. And so they point out the inconsistencies and the gaps between who we are and who we're supposed to be. They make us care about issues related to justice and righteousness and mercy. And so they're very valuable to the body of Christ. Left to themselves, the prophets will clear a room. They get very direct and strong. They'll, they'll rattle things over Thanksgiving dinner because the prophets can be very direct and strong. The evangelists. The evangelists are people that, that call us to care about people who are not in the church. The, the evangelists have two favorite words. Those words are let's and go. The evangelists are all re always ready to go, to reach someone new, uh, to, and they encourage us to care about the world outside of the four walls of the church. Left to themselves, the, the evangelists will wear themselves out, and they'll wear everyone else out, and they, they will care about people outside of the church, but they might not care about themselves very well. They're always, they're always on the go. Shepherds are those who care for those inside of the church. They care for the needs of the people. Left to themselves, shepherds will get inward focus and, and not be so focused on what's going on outside of the world. And lastly, the teachers. The teachers, you know when you're in the presence of a teacher, they like to explain things, and they're, and they're really good at, they, they, at explaining things, and they guard the truth, and they remind us of God's word, and they point us to God's word and God's truth left to themselves. They'll just be in the books a lot, and they will over-explain things. You know when you're in the presence of a teacher, they've explained it far more than you've wanted them to explain it. Teachers like to explain. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, we need them all. If the church is going to fully function at its full potential, 
we have to walk in that five-fold ministry, and all of us have some of that. God has gifted us in, in one of those kinds of ways, and we need all of that working together for the church to be who God has called it to be in this world. Unfortunately, oftentimes, churches have leaned towards two of those, particularly the shepherd-teacher dynamic. One scholar said, says it this way, sadly, most churches have traditionally operated with only two out of the five, namely shepherding and teaching. In most cases, the ministries of the apostle, prophet, and evangelist, or the apes, as some people call them, have often been minimized in the church. According to Ephesians 4, we essentially cut off three-fifths of our capacity to grow and mature as the body of Christ, which has done serious damage to the church. We need our friends, the apostles, who start new things. They challenge us. They shake us out of our routines. The prophets, they challenge us. They point out the inconsistencies between who we are and who we should be. The evangelists say, let's go, let's go. What are we doing while we're sitting here? Let's go. And sometimes they get placed under the table. But the reality is we need them all to fully function and be who God has called us to be. In other words, to be a healthy and whole body, we have to activate and empower the whole body, all of us. To be a healthy and whole body, we have to activate and empower the whole body. The ministry does not start or stop with a man or a woman standing on a platform giving a message on a Sunday. If that's our only hope, friends, the world is in trouble. There are some people walking in darkness. There are some communities that need to be transformed. There are some families that need to have their trajectory changed. And God isn't going to use a sermon on a Sunday. God isn't going to use a Sunday service. God is going to use you right where you are. He's going to use you in your household. He's going to use you on your job. He's going to use you on your campus, in your classroom. He's going to use you in the front yard or in your living room talking to your neighbor. God wants to use you right where you are. And that's his plan. That's been his plan for all eternity. And if we're going to be a healthy and whole body, we have to activate and empower the whole body, all of us, using our gifts that God has called us and equipped us with. This month, we're in a series called Surprise the World, and we're going to emphasize one of those gifts that sometimes get placed under the table in the modern church. That's the evangelist in evangelism. There's a copy, there's several copies, rather, of the book Surprise the World. They're going to be around the church today. They're going to be uh, in the, at the different desks around the building. I encourage you to pick up a copy. We're going to go through that book as, a, as small groups uh, this month. And we're going to focus on evangelism and the evangelist. And we're going to talk about what does it look like for us to surprise the world in our various spheres of influence. Let's look at that word evangelist. What is an evangelist? The work of the evangelist is the proclamation of the good news to those who have not known the gospel 
rather than the instruction and pastoral care of those who have been, uh, who believed and been baptized. And so the evangelists, their primary ministry is the proclamation of the good news of the gospel to those who have not known the gospel. That's what they're called to do. Now, I know what some of you have think, are thinking, that's not me. I'm, I'm not getting out there and doing that. And there's some very weird things that have been done in the name of evangelism. I know. So we're, and I'm going to talk about some of that too. So not everybody's called to be an evangelist, but we are all called to be a part of God's hope to change the world. Not every Christ follower is called to be a full-time evangelist. Not everybody's gifted that way. But every Christ follower is a part of God's plan to share the hope of Jesus with the world. God has a plan for all of us to be a part of that plan of his, that greater plan to share the hope of the gospel with the world. Now, some of us are more gifted at that than others. Some of, some of us, like myself, are not so gifted at the whole evangelism thing, but God still has a plan for us. Some people, like my wife, Ashley, she's very, she's very gifted at that. We're like, like, she's like in Target or something and like bumps into a complete stranger and leads them to Christ in the self-checkout line. She's just... That's just how she rolls. She's always meeting new people. And before you know it, they're talking about God or a ward church, some kind of way. She's inviting them. True story. She was, I'm not even, this is not even hyperbole. We were in line at Target. She's talking to a lady who goes to another church. And before you know it, the lady's like, I probably should come to your church. And I'm like, Ashley's like, no, 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 no. Stay where you're at. Uh, but that's just, that's just, she just rolls that way. She's gifted. Me, on the other hand, not, not, I don't think that's my gift. I'll just say like that. I'm not called to be an evangelist in anybody's organization, but God even has a plan for little old people like me who are not necessarily gifted at evangelism. Uh, last month, as a matter of fact, I was at, uh, at a gym here locally. Me and a, another member of our church, Eric McGowan, we were working out together. And uh, usually after our workouts, we like to sit in the blazing hot sauna and just sit there. And we talk for about 20 minutes in the sauna. And one morning we were sitting in the sauna and we were talking about our men's group here at the church. We were just talking about the men's group in the sauna. And a guy sitting next to us says, you guys have a men's group? I was like, yeah. He was like, what kind of men's group? Well, I was like, well, it meets at our church at War Church, Six Mile in Haggerty, uh, right up the road, meets there. Uh, he says... Oh, it's a Christian thing? I was like, oh, yeah, yes, yeah, Christian thing at a church. He was like, uh, I used to be a Christian, not, not anymore. I was like, okay, here, here's my, my evangelism opportunity. And I say, um, tell me more. What, what do you believe now? He says, well, I don't ascribe to any particular religion or faith or anything like that. I just, you know, kind of believe so I try to dig in a little bit more. Once again, I'm not the most gifted evangelist, but I try to dig in a little bit more. I said, so how's that working for you? Has that changed anything? Has that brought about any transformation in your life? He says, no, no, it hasn't. No, just the same. And here's where I get awkward. Uh, Jesus, Jesus, uh, Jesus changed my life. <laughs> and it got awkward for like five seconds for like five seconds, and uh, I was trying, y'all. My heart was in the right place. I was trying. Got awkward for about five seconds, and uh, then he lets me off the hook. He says, I tell you what, and you know when somebody tells you, I tell you what, they're trying to let you off the hook. He says, I tell you what, why don't you and I keep getting to know one another, keep sharing with one another, 
And I know where your church is, Six Mile, Haggerty, Ward, Ward Church. I was like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And uh, he's like, why don't we leave it at that? I was like, great, great. And that was, that, that was, the, best, that was the best I could do. Like I said, not, not necessarily a gifted evangelist, but I tried. And when it comes to evangelism, there are all kind of methods, and I've tried a few of them. Sometimes you're sitting next to a guy in a sauna having an awkward conversation. Other times, you know, people go up to random people on the streets. People buy billboards and shirts and hats. There have been a lot of different weird things done in the name of, of evangelism. And the reality is this. When it comes to evangelism, we have the right message. Our gospel message should never change, but our methods of sharing the gospel message should always be adapting and changing. Our gospel message should never change, but our, but our methods for sharing the gospel message should always be adapting and changing. It should always be adapting and, and changing. See, the reality is sharing our faith is similar, like, similar to having a taste of a nice cold glass of water like this and saying that was good and I want, to, I want someone else to experience that same thirst quenching water that I just experienced and we come to faith and when we first come to faith we want to, we want to share that with other people we're excited about sharing that with other people and over time though what can happen is we can lose the zeal we can even lose appreciation for the water. Or maybe we don't know how to share it because it's awkward. Like I know I've tasted this and I know that it's good and I know that it has changed my life, but how can I share this with someone else? Sub thought here, my daughter Luca, three, who's three years old, has been doing this lately. She goes, she drinks something and goes, ah, refreshing. That's a new thing. <laughs> And essentially, when it comes to our faith, that's what we're trying to do. We're simply trying to say, ah, refreshing, this is good, you should, should experience this. And, and there are various ways to do that. But the big point is this, if this truly is so good, if this truly is so refreshing, if this truly has satisfied my soul, isn't it worth figuring out how to share it with someone else? The, the Apostle Paul was trying to equip the church in, in the book of Colossians in how to share their faith with the world around them. And the church at Colossae was not in a culturally Christian environment. The environment in Colossae was far less culturally Christian than the world that we live in today. Even here in Southeast Michigan, Colossae was in many ways indifferent to Christianity. Here you have Paul proclaiming a Jewish Messiah in a Greco-Roman world. This wasn't necessarily uh, status quo for the world that they were living in at the time. And, and Paul is trying to equip the Christians on how to share their faith with a world that is somewhat indifferent to this new Christian faith at the time. And essentially, he doesn't tell them to go out on the streets and stand on the street corners and preach. He doesn't tell them to hand out tracts, per se. But he, but he calls them to live a questionable life, a life that people question. He calls them to live out a reasonable faith and a, an attractive 
faith. And he tells them to be prepared to give an answer for what they believe. Let's look at Colossians and how Paul is equipping this early church to share their faith with the world. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Paul begins with calling the church in Colossians to pray. Not only to pray, but to devote themselves to prayer, to give themselves to prayer because if they're going to be people of impact, they first have to be people of prayer. Whenever there's been great impact in this world, whenever things have changed, whenever a household has changed or a community or one singular person has changed, it began with, it began with prayer. It began with someone on their knees calling on the hand of God to intervene because as we pray, that's our connection to all that is heavenly. And so Paul is saying, before you make an impact in this world, before you reach anybody or try to impact anybody, devote yourselves to prayer. He says, and pray for me too. And pray for me too. He continues, verse 5. It says, be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Paul calls the church in Colossae to be wise. Consider how you live and be wise. And he he does make a distinction between insiders and outsiders. He makes a distinction between insiders and outsiders. Insiders were those that were a part of the church, believers in Christ. Those were the insiders. And he does make a distinction between outsiders, those who don't yet know Christ. And those who know Christ should be wise in the way that they act towards those who don't know Christ. And they're to make the most of every opportunity that they have with those who don't know Christ. In other words... The world is watching. The world is watching how we live. They're watching how we act when people disagree with us. They're watching how we raise our children or raise, raise our, our grandkids. They're, they're watching how we interact with our spouse. They're, they're watching how we act when we don't get our way. And and Paul isn't saying to put on a performance, but he's saying be wise in how you engage towards outsiders because there are people looking at your life trying to discern whether or not this whole Christian thing is real to begin with. The world is watching. So Paul says, be wise. You don't necessarily have to have a Bible study on the job in the lunchroom, though that might be great. But he says, no, be wise in how you interact with your coworkers, because the world is watching. And next he switches to our conversations, how we speak. He says, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. He says, let your conversations always be full of grace, seasoned with salt. That, that, that phrase, seasoned with salt, means to be persuasive, to add value to the conversation with something that's positive or encouraging or uplifting. 
It's to season the conversation with salt. We live in a world where there's a lot of negative conversation these days. And what would it look like for the body of Christ to inject ourselves into that conversation with some encouragement, with some hope, pointing people to something greater, building people up, blessing people with our words? What does it look like for us to surprise the world by being different in how we engage conversations? Paul is essentially calling the early church to be a blessing, to, to build people up, to surprise the world by how we live like our Christ. We proclaim our Christ with our mouth, but we also proclaim our Christ with how we live, and that's how we surprise the world. I want to leave you with three ways that we can live some questionable lives and surprise the world. So how do we live a questionable life? A life that causes people to be curious. One, words of affirmation. Words of affirmation. That word affirm means to make firm. When you affirm someone, when you encourage someone, you make them more firm, more strong. That could look like sending a kind text, or an email, or a note or a DM on Instagram or, or Facebook or something like that. But it's using your words to firm someone else up, to encourage them. What would, what would it look like to do that? Also, an act of kindness, watching someone's child babysitting for them, cutting someone's lawn, raking their leaves, shoveling their snow. I heard we're supposed to get a lot of snow this week. Great opportunity. Acts of kindness, these type of things surprise the world. Even gift giving can surprise the world. My brother-in-law, John, he's, in, he's exceptional at this. My brother-in-law is a master at gift giving. He just surprises you. You just show up and he just unloads the bag like Santa Claus. Um, some people have that gift giving ability. And so that's how we can also surprise the world. And I want to leave you with a challenge this week. I want to challenge you to surprise three people this week. Maybe one member of our church, maybe someone who doesn't go to our church, and a third one you pick. But do you think we could do that? We could maybe this week, you know, think of someone that you could affirm with your words, someone that you can offer an act of kindness to, someone that you could give a gift just think about how, that, how, how much that might bless someone, how much that might surprise someone. These are the things that actually change the world and change people's lives. Back in the late 80s, my mother was working with a lady named Mrs. Oetha. Mrs. Oetha. And Mrs. Oetha stood out. She lived a questionable life. My mom always tells me about Mrs. Oetha, how when other ladies on the job were mean to Mrs. Oetha and weren't kind to her, she found a way to still be kind, to still keep a positive spirit, and to just unleash this positive, just positive hope and energy around her. She just, she just kept a po positive atmosphere around herself a very upbeat, kind lady. And my mom got curious. 
when my mom was in her 20s at the time, and my mom says, how do you do that? And Mrs. Oita's like, what? Like, how, how are you able to keep such a positive spirit? How are you able to respond with such kindness, even when people aren't kind to you? And Mrs. Oita says, the Lord. My mom got really curious, and Mrs. Oita said, why don't you come to church with me sometime? And true story, my mom started going to church with Mrs. Oita, and Mrs. Oita was studying the Bible uh, through her Sunday school class, and my mom was like, I want to know the Bible like you know the Bible, Mrs. Oita. And so uh, my mom started going to Sunday school with Mrs. Oita, and my, my mom read the Bible in a year, and she's kind of in this discipleship relationship with this older woman. And true story, my father started to go to that church, my sister started to go to that church, and my earliest remembrance of Christian faith for myself was in Mrs. Oetha's church. And I'm here today sharing the water with you that Mrs. Oetha shared with my mother, all because one woman surprised the world. <laughs> she surprised my mom with how she was able to live, and she shared her hope with my mom. And by God's grace, that's how, that's how it's done. People just showing up where they are and being faithful to God, being faithful to what he has called them to. And we take this to the world, like, ah, refreshing. We take it to the world and tell them how good our God is. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come to you in your mighty son's Jesus' name. God, thanking you for the gift of life thanking you for how you've quenched our souls. God, we pray that you would open up doors for us to share that hope with the world around us. God, I pray that you would put on our hearts people to affirm and offer words of affirmation, people to offer acts of kindness to. Give us creativity in how we can show acts of kindness to others. Give us creativity and gift-giving and how we can surprise the world that way. God, I lift up your church. I pray that you would empower and activate them all because that's a world around us that needs you. Empower your people to surprise the world. This in your son, Jesus' name, that we pray. Amen.